Hi everyone, I'm Joshua Friedman, Rappaport Senior News Reporter. Today we are joined by Eric Jacobs, President of the Jewelers Board of Trade, better known as the JBT. Eric, your organization provides credit information on jewelry companies as well as collection services to help businesses recover money from clients that have missed their payments. Thank you for coming on the Rappaport Diamond Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So when we last, uh, when I last interviewed you, it was quite early on in the in the pandemic, and you were predicting a um, an increase in, in bankruptcies. People are, you know, have had some severe liquidity problems, um, haven't been able to get payments from clients. Obviously, consumer demand has dried up. Um, I'm just wondering what the situation was there now. I mean, is 2020 going to be a is it going to be a bad year for the jewelry industry? Well, you know, there's a lot of um, talk out there at even the macroeconomic level that seems to also reflect and triple down all the way down to the jewelry um, level. Of you know, you've you've probably heard the phrase a K-shaped recovery, right? That sure, yeah. Um, meaning that essentially there's two legs. There's folks that are doing really, really well in this recovery, and there are folks that are not doing so well. Um, we're sort of seeing the same thing in the jewelry industry, although I wouldn't necessarily call it a K-shaped. I just call it, you know, there's a lot of different experiences that folks are having right now. There surprisingly are a, a large number of stores that are having banner years or, you know, up to this point anyway. Um, in, and whether that's due to um, substitution of travel dollars or other things, um, you know, it's, it could be a, a multitude of factors. But then it's very clear there's a whole set of other stores that are really, really struggling. Mm. Um, and that's actually not even limited to the retail level. It's, it's, we're seeing it up and down the supply chain, that there's basically winners and, and losers that, that are happening here. Right. And, and uh, presumably the, the winners are the, um, the, firstly, the ones with online capability. That would be the number one, number one thing. Um, and also maybe those who, who aren't. Yeah. yeah, we actually did an analysis. Yeah, we did an analysis of that of uh, folks who uh, we went sort of crawled through all of the social networks and looked for folks who said they were having banner years versus folks who were saying that they were really, really having a tough year. Um, so kind of going beyond all the folks we already know about, we kind of went out to those social networks and then worked backwards to look at um you know, what were sort of some of the commonalities for the winners and the losers. And you're absolutely right. Um, one of the commonalities we found for the folks who were struggling was almost to, to, um, to a person, they had almost no online presence or social presence. Right, right. And I guess also those, um, the companies, I mean, you mentioned this to me in the past, but uh, companies that are reliant on, on, them, on shopping malls, um, they, they've struggled a lot. People aren't going to shopping malls, shopping malls anymore, anymore. So the big jewelry chains um, have really lost revenue. Yeah, and then the, also the folks that are that are associated with the um, sort of the tourist industry, right? So there's a, a mm. pretty sizable sector of the jewelry industry that's associated with like cruise ships and and uh, 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 I wouldn't say amusement parks, but yeah. You know, sort of those hospitality areas, um, a, a lot of jewelry stores and, for example, in the Caribbean, um, those obviously are having sort of fundamental struggling issues. Mm-hmm. So what's, um, what's the JBT's role in all this? How, how can you help the industry in a, in a time like this? Well, our primary role is, is, a, is a couple fold. One is obviously for our longstanding members who typically are folks that are, I would call them upstream in the supply chain, right? So sort of the, the non-retailers. Um, 
our role really hasn't changed that much, which is we can provide visibility as to how um, potential partners are doing. Um, you know, what has changed for us is we obviously um, also cater to the retail sector. We have a retail level membership. And for the retailers, we can provide them visibility upstream as to how their suppliers might be doing. You know, a, a couple of years ago, that may have been somewhat important. Now that's really important because, as I mentioned before, some of these suppliers are doing really well and some of them are, are struggling. And so it, it kind of helps to know. Um, it also helps to know sort of, you know, what the suppliers are doing in terms of operational capability. You know, there's some suppliers that that uh, can drop ship and and uh, do sort of things online and other folks who are doing the more traditional models. So knowing that can be really helpful. So for us, we just sort of look at both the financial aspect and also b uh, basic information about potential partners, both upstream and downstream. Right. Um, in, in the court, in the in the second quarter of this year, um, if I remember correctly, you and um, you downgraded um, more than seventeen hundred companies' credit ratings in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. and Canadian uh, jewelry trades, um, and you explained that that was the the, the highest, um, the hard that the an, an unprecedented rate um, uh, at which you've done that. Um, how have things developed since then? Are you still upgrading? Are you still downgrading jury uh, jury company credit ratings at such a such a sharp rate? No, we're not. Um, so what we what we saw in the in Q three is we did see a recovery um, in both from a ratings perspective and a and a trade basically flow through perspective. Mm. Um, what I will say is there's sort of a hard hardcore element of of, of folks that are struggling where their ratings got dropped and they kind of just stay there. Mm. Um, and then there is a, another element of folks where the rating was dropped temporarily, but now they're coming back. Um, and then there's a, a whole series of folks that their ratings just didn't change at all. Um, and that's kind of goes back to my original thing where we're seeing sort of across the board, a whole mix of different experiences for the different jewelry stores. Right. So the big hit was really in the, in the second quarter, when people started failing to get, they, they started seeing those missed payments. Um, uh, so people on ninety day, I guess people on ninety day contracts, who um, uh, they they sold stuff in, in say February March, and by April, the, the the money wasn't coming in. Yeah, and so what we're what we're basically seeing is there is an L, a, a section or a sector of our. Um, folks that we do ratings for where, for example, they may have moved from a one to a two and then they move to a three um, and they may end up moving to a four. It just takes, you know, many months to get to a four. Um, and so I kind of, I kind of call those guys, they're, they're, they're kind of stuck, right? They're just kind of having troubles. Um, but then we are seeing sort of a recovery back up. One of the other elements that's kind of important to kind of pay attention to as well is we have a series of of listings that occasionally they will actually come off as having a rating simply because there's not enough information about them. Right. Um, and we call those zeros. Mm -hmm. um, and um, those, those zeros grew um, substantially during Q2. Um, and now they've, we've sort of stopped that growth of the zeros. Um, some, many of the zeros that, that came on in Q2 have not come back yet in Q3. But it does look like that's the direction it's coming. Right. Can you explain the the one to four system? How how does that work, please? Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. I mean, it, it's not quite 
um, this, but I'll oversimplify it a little bit. But essentially, the one to four system is, you know, a one is their current. So whatever um, terms the supplier had with the retailer, they're abiding by those terms. And then a two is, okay, they're 30 days over those terms, essentially. It's a little more complicated than that, but let's just oversimplify it. Um, a three is they're 60 days over that term. And then four days, a four is they're over 90 days past that agreed on term. There's a lot of other things that kind of enter into it, but that's kind of a simple way to think of it. I see. And we're, we're talking about retailers um, meeting their obligations to, to their suppliers. Yeah, it's actually technically not just retailers. Um, it's the mm. other way around, too. So it's any supplier that's sort of downstream in the supply chain um, is also subject to a rating. Right. So one, one of the interesting things you did at the beginning of the pandemic was um, you, you introduced two parallel uh, credit scores reflecting um, a company's uh, performance in, in reality and how it was um, uh, and, and how, how it was performing in terms of credit before the pandemic. Um, are you still doing that? Yes, we are. Um, you know, it, we took that position fairly early on because we knew that one, we wanted to be consistent in how we presented the data, right? We didn't want to really change things and put our thumb on the scale because actually that would open up a whole Pandora's box, right? And it sort of put us in a very bad position of sort of deciding who wins and who loses. Um, and at the same time, we also didn't want to, you know, unduly penalize folks who for no fault of their own, you know, their rating was, uh, was going to change. And it also helped us provide better visibility as to what was happening overall in the, in the marketplace. Um, as I mentioned before, we are seeing a recovery overall, but we're not quite there yet. Um, right. you know, we're still seeing, uh, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, taking a little longer, we did make the decision to include the pre-COVID rating in our once a year um, physical red book that gets shipped out in September. Mm. And uh, so that will be there, you know, as, as, as long as the red book is, is valid. Um, we will just continue to keep an eye on it. And at some point when we feel that the, the market has fully recovered, we're looking at about 10 different metrics at the same time. When we feel we're, you know, it's recovered and there really isn't any difference between the pre-COVID and the post-COVID rating from a methodology standpoint, um, then we'll remove it. But at this point, it's still there. Right. I see. I wanted to ask about, uh, about bankruptcies because in, in, the, um, uh, in, in, the, in the second quarter, the, the, you mentioned at the time that, that uh, mm -hmm. the, the number of bankruptcies was relatively low because a lot of bankruptcy courts were shut. Um, has that situation changed now? And have we seen an increase in the number of bankruptcies in the second half of the year? Uh, actually, not that much yet uh, in Q3 anyway. Um, and we attribute to that to a couple of different factors. One is um, obviously for many brick and mortar retail stores, many, what may drive them to bankruptcy is, the is uh, an inability to meet their rent. Mm -hmm. um, and clearly a lot of landlords are still being somewhat forgiving about that. So, you know, someone may not be able to quite get open yet, but they aren't quite closed yet because they haven't technically defaulted on their rent. Um, and we're seeing some of that same behavior in the actual supply chain part of it as well, where folks are, you know, basically if someone's struggling, um, you know, folks upstream in the supply chain uh, are, are basically holding off, mm -hmm. you know, uh, making uh, uh, big changes. And in fact, we had requests from some of our upstream, upstream folks, um, could we make changes to our collections policies 
to make sure that we wouldn't um, unduly put um, their clients into a death spiral for better, lack of a better term. Uh, and we did that. So I, I was actually kind of surprised, but at the same time, not surprised that the bankruptcies are still kind of low because you have these sort of external factors that are basically holding off the worst case scenario. So how has your how has your collections policy changed as a result of these requests? We added a, a new feature or a new product, if you will, in our collections policy. We call it the um, pre-notification service. And what that is, is at, at the um, uh, claimant's option, they can basically tell us, hey, I, I don't want this initially to show up in the debtor's credit report. And, you know, I don't I, I don't want to come down hard. I just want to I want I, I want to tell them that I, I intend to start collection services. So we have this thing called the pre pre um, notification service where we will reach out to the retailer and say, hey, um, this claimant is about to start collection services. You really do need to pay attention to this outstanding debt and, and kind of work it out. Um, you know, as a result, the claimant does you know, strongly show their intention, but at the same time, we're not unduly penalizing the retailer um, that, you know, because obviously once we're in a formal collection process that shows up in the credit report and other folks can see that and, you know, it can cause problems. Right. So you're saying that this pre-notification option is, is a new introduction? It is. We did this specifically right. as a result of the COVID crisis. That's very interesting. So do you think, I mean, and I'm curious what that reflects in the industry. Does that reflect that that people want to uh, they want to do what they need to do, but they also um, they, there's a there's a sense of of unity in the industry. Yeah, there still is. I still see that. We still there's a strong sense of community in the industry. Obviously, there's some folks um, again, sort of on the upstream side, that if they're really really hurting, you know, if a particular distributor or manufacturer is really hurting, they're going to be a little more aggressive about getting their cash. Right. Um, but I still see overall there's there's pretty strong sense of community out there. Right. Well, what are the options for uh, let's say you're a retailer who just you're not getting any revenue at the moment and you've got no way of um, of making this payment? What, what are your options? Well, you know, it's exactly I think as we talked about either in Q1 or Q2, um, it hasn't really changed. Which is you know the biggest mistake we ever see retailers make is not contacting the upstream partner, right? Having the mm -hmm. difficult conversation is a lot better than having no conversation at all. Mm -hmm. um, because typically that's what makes, you know, a distributor really mad is they just don't know what your status is. Um, so, you know, we really recommend that they, they do that. Um, then obviously we, we've seen a lot of retailers basically engage in payment plans with their upstream partners. Um, and, you know, we've seen basically go through workouts, if you will. Um, and most of them are, are kind of sticking to it. So, you know, I've actually been encouraged by that. We're not seeing a whole lot of folks ditching once they've worked something out with the upstream partner. Right, right. Um, so there's been a lot of discussion about the, um, the, 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 the possible stimulus package in the U.S. Um, and how that, mm -hmm. if it materializes, how that will or won't um, help retail in general, the industry in general, and, and specifically the jewelry industry. Um, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment about whether it will materialize. Um, 
<laughs> and what it will be, yeah. Right. How do you feel that's actually affected jewelers? I mean, do they are they working on the assumption that that there isn't going to be a stimulus package and, and anything that materializes is a is a bonus? Yeah, I, I think it ranges across the board, but for most of the folks that I've talked to, they're just playing it day by day, right? They're not they're they're neither discounting it neither, nor counting on it, right? You know, when the when the PPP program came in, we did a whole analysis on that and you know, that ended up saving, I think, close to 40,000 jewelry jobs, wow. uh, 20,000 of them in the retail stores, and, and uh, it, it maybe more like 20, 22,000 in the retail stores, and then there was a, mm. a bunch in the manufacturing and wholesale sector. So, you know, that saved a lot of jobs, and obviously, I think folks will hope for something similar. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Q4 happens, but... Um, it, it, today, I think everybody's just doing it by day by day. I think we've kind of given up on sort of predicting when the next stimulus will happen. It just, it's too hard to figure out. Right. So where, where does this leave the industry in, in the run up to the holidays? I mean, we, 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 I would say we, we see kind of mixed, um, mixed sentiment. There's, there's some optimism that after you know, people being locked down for a long time, that people want to go and either into a store or from home and, and buy some diamond jewelry um, and that there'll be decent sales. Um, and there's also the issue of, of shortages because of the lack of diamond manufacturing in India at the moment. But at the same time, mm-hmm. we are in the middle of a, of a pandemic and, and a global recession. Um, mm-hmm. So what, what's, um, what, 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 how, how do your, your jewelry contacts see this? So there's the jewelry contacts and then there's sort of the data analytics part of it. Um, from a jewelry contacts perspective, a couple of different themes are kind of are, are emerging. One is uh, the stores in the, that happen to be in the malls are obviously concerned because they're worried about a resurgence of COVID here in the U.S., which appears to be happening right now. Um, and whether or not that'll re- result in lockdowns at the uh, mall level, right? So, and a lot of these mall stores have it, it it's a little harder to do curbside pickup and things like that. Mm. So they're kind of worried about that. Um, the folks that have the online presence, their bigger concern is they're starting to hear grumblings from the shipping companies that as bad as the shipping was in um, the early stages of the COVID crisis, when everybody was buying everything, including groceries online, mm-hmm. that it could be nearly as bad for the near the holiday season, meaning that, you know, there's not going to be a, um, the, the concept of you can buy something two days before Christmas and it's going to show up on time. Right. Right. So some folks are looking at that as a threat. Other folks are looking at that as an opportunity to increase their curbside. Right. Right, if they can do that. Yeah, well, I'm wondering where Amazon fits into that because they're, they're they're obviously known for being able to turn around delivery very quickly. Yeah, but they they had to, you know, remember remember back early on in the crisis, they had to change their delivery times. Right, right. So that that you know will be interesting. Um, okay. Analytically, we kind of look at it, and one of the one of the things we're 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 paying attention to right now is. If we look at the flow through of dollars through the supply chain, the total flow through of dollars, uh, what, what we call current trade dollars, which is basically dollars that you know folks are not late in paying on, um, that's usually a, a fairly decent proxy of showing, okay, well, this is the total amount of dollars that are flowing through the supply chain. That still hasn't recovered from pre-COVID levels. And 
We believe that's due to a couple of different things. One is it could be retail stores are still eating through their inventories, but it could also be, and we're, we're digging into this a little bit, it could also be um, basically retail stores deciding to have simply lower levels of inventory. Some retail stores, um, you know, doing more just-in-time type operations, um, as well as those stores that take advantage of drop ship or other capabilities that basically allow them to have less inventory. So that will be interesting to see. We're really keeping an eye on that number for the pre-holidays because, as, as you know, right now, this is where you kind of typically see another spike right. um, in, in, that, in, in that buying. So right. we'll, we'll have to see how that flushes out over the next month or so. A lot of what you've mentioned seems to really just be a, an acceleration of some of the trends that we're already seeing that uh, move away from malls and uh, the move towards holding retailers holding less inventory. Um, do, do you see it like that? Absolutely. As I said before, it's it basically removed the barriers. You know, one of the interesting things when you talk about online, online many times is a chicken or the egg problem, right? If you're talking about an industry where historically online has not been big, it's really, well, do the stores need to go online first and convince their customers to go online or do their customers need to demand online and the customers react, right? Or the stores react. Um, in this case, there wasn't a chicken and the egg problem, right? Everybody was saying, oh, we, we have to go online. Otherwise, this doesn't happen. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so that it vastly accelerated that. But I actually think that's kind of one of the more obvious things at the retail level. I actually think what's even more fascinating is what's happening upstream, right? Where you're seeing a lot of manufacturers and wholesalers that had, you know, no online presence whatsoever. And now they're jumping into the virtual sales, um, uh, you know, virtual interactions with their downstream partners, um, you know, the trade show folks of how they're trying to solve that problem. Um, I think there it's, you're seeing some really interesting um, technological innovations that you may not even see in any other industries that are happening specifically in the in the jewelry industry as a reaction to it. Right. Um, I'd just like to ask finally about your journey in the jewelry industry, because I understand that the, you are new to jewelry. You, your, um, your background was elsewhere, but you, uh, you, you came to the fore of the JBT as a relative um, outsider. I was wondering if you could just talk me through how that happened. Uh, well, yeah. So I, I was brought into the Jewelers Board of Trade to um, I'm a technology guy um, mm. and an entre a startup type guy um, as yeah. a background, and I was brought into the Jewelers Board of Trade to basically uh, revamp their technology systems, which were somewhat out of date, mm. and then um, started revamping some other things as well. And um, it's been an interesting journey. Um, I, I will tell you, pre-COVID, my impression of the jewelry industry was that. Um, you know, essentially, there's no way they're going to technologically get up to speed to deal with the COVID stuff. I, I'll tell you, I was pessimistic yeah. about that. I have to tell you, I've actually been very impressed yeah. with the adaptability of, of stores getting up to speed on the technological front. Right. So as you say, it's been a, it's been a necessity. It's been a necessity and, and you know, they, they stepped up. Um, and, you know, I will say the same thing, even with our own employees, our own employees, I was, you know, concerned that some of them would not be able to make the transition to work from home and they all stepped mm -hmm. up and did a great job. So it's been pretty yeah. impressive. You know, that's one of, one of the things I, I will tell you, we're also trying to change at the jewelers board is a lot of the retailers kind of look at us as some sort of evil black box. 
Mm. And, you know, from, from our perspective, you know, we're not, we're just, we're just processing data. And some, I understand when some stores get upset that, you know, their rating goes down mm. and, you know, my recommendation to any of those folks is just give us a call. Many times it's because we don't have the right data and we'll fix it for you. Right. Right. How, how often does it happen that you, uh, the, the people, I guess, appeal or ch- challenge the, uh, their ratings? Oh, right now it happens a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you have a lot of yeah. folks that, you know, for years had a one rating and all of a sudden they dropped to a three. Right. Right. And they're wondering, well, how did that happen? And then we, mm-hmm. you know, we're happy to take their calls and, and make sure we've got the right information. Right. OK, well, um, Eric Jacobs, thank you very much for, for sharing your insights on the industry and, uh, and the issues of, of credit and liquidity. And, uh, and uh, I, I've really enjoyed listening to you. Oh, no problem. It's been a pleasure. And I'm sure the, the listeners have, too. Thanks for being on the uh, on the Rapport Diamond podcast. With that. Well, thanks for having me. Be safe. Mm-hmm.